Good morning. Some of you, probably most of you, know who I am. Since Ann and I have been here, I think we started our 28th year at Front Range in March. So this is our 28th year with this church family. Came in 1994, and I served at that time for 12 years as a teaching pastor on staff here at Front Range, and then decided to stay on and just kind of watch everything, you know, after you step down. The church always loves it when the, the guy who was the teaching pastor sticks around. But if you also have known me, I have been an elder all those times, those 27 going into the 28th year now. And I've been asked to start a series today that is going to last through the summer, Lord willing. And I would ask for your prayers for this. It is on one of my favorite sections of the Gospels and the Scriptures, especially the New Testament. On the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly looking at the Beatitudes, which are character traits of what a true believer is, and then bringing in from the rest of the Sermon on the Mount the practical sections which mas match up with those particular character traits. So that's kind of where we're going. And today is just an introduction sermon to that whole series and to the Beatitudes themselves. And I've just in, entitled it The Character and the Blessings or Happiness <clears throat> of a True Believer. So that's where we're going to go this morning. And I'm going to begin with a question for you while I clear my throat. Um, by the way, I appreciated Jordan's message last week. He had one point. I have a few more than that. But I'll try to do it in the same amount of time. Let me ask you this this morning. And I want you to really think about it. I even thought about trying to let you answer it. And then my wife said, you better not try that. And I thought, okay, maybe that's good. I'll give you some answers, but think about this. What is it that makes you the most happy? You might even stop and think about what, what is happiness? Happiness is, according to the dictionary, and I looked this up, happiness is you achieving the things that you think are good, the things that you really value. It's achieving those things. So when you think of what it is to be happy, and most of us like to be happy, what are the things that make you happy? What are those things that really bring joy and contentment and delight into your life? Now, the reason I'm not asking you is I don't know that we're ready for all of your answers. But here's some of the things that I came up with. One of the things you, you might delight in is your marriage. Being married to a spouse that you love and loves you, and you enjoy this, this relationship together as one in this life. That makes me happy. For 56 years, I have been married to this lady up here in the second row. And we dated for five years before that, so add those up. I'm only about 65, so I started very young. <laughs> very young. That makes me happy. That ought to make you happy. 
some of the other things that make you happy, and I wrote down a few. Birth of a child, especially your first child. I can remember when I came home from Vietnam, and we had had a son while I was away who was now about eight and a half months old. And I had given Ann very clear instructions, do not let him walk until I get home. She said, do you want me to tie his feet together? So at eight and a half months, she meets me at the airport with her family and my family. And David, our oldest son, walks up to me at the airport, eight and a half months old. Though I was unhappy that he hadn't waited, I was happy to see my wife and to see my son, very first child, and to see him walking up to me and smiling. He didn't even know who I was. He thought, who is this guy? Anne lived with her parents, so he thought her father was his father until he got home, and it took about a year to figure this out. That, that can bring happiness to us. Having a child, a good job with good pay, right? That's something that you might strive for, that you can meet your needs, and you're where the Lord wants you, and, and you recognize this is something to be happy about, something to rejoice over. A nice home, a home that's paid off, makes you happy. When all of a sudden those bills don't come anymore, the possibility of one day retiring, the, your favorite team winning the Super Bowl or the World Series. That's okay. That, that makes you happy. If you root for some of the teams I root for, that doesn't happen very often. But that can make you happy. That can bring joy into your life. Good relationships, beautiful weather, good health, a great meal now and then can bring happiness. The achievements of your children, having them come visit you when they've grown up and are away at school or they've started a life of their own. All of those things can make you happy. And there, there's a reasons to be happy. Those are things in this, this life that make us happy in this life. But here's what I want you to think about this morning. All of those things that I just mentioned Every one of them, unbelievers can be very happy about as well. They can find happiness in those things as well and not know Christ. So I want you to think about this this morning as we begin to look into the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. What are the things that can only make happiness in a Christian. How does a Christian become happy and joyful and delighted in things that the world and unbelievers cannot ever enjoy? By the way, that's what the Beatitudes is about. The Beati Beatitudes, if you look that word up in the dictionary, here's what it says. It's supreme blessedness, exalted happiness. Did you get that? Beatitude means exalted happiness. The name is not actually there in the New Testament. We call it the Beatitudes 
because every one of the Beatitudes starts off with this word, blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. And we look at that, and I think at times, we're not real sure what that blessed means. We might think, well, that would be a reward in heaven, or that would be God pleased with us. There are two primary words in the Greek New Testament that are often translated blessed. Two words. And I think sometimes when we look at this one that is here in this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, and that's where we are, and if you haven't turned there, would you turn there with me? Because in just a few moments, I want to read verse 3 from 16 and have you follow along. But the Greek word here for blessed is different than the one that we normally think of. And yet they're both translated the same way. This is the Greek word makarios, which again, if you looked it up in a Greek lexicon, means to be happy extremely, exalted happiness. So every time when you read a beatitude, blessed is the man who is poor in spirit, what it's saying is this man, who has this character trait, who is poor in spirit, has exalted happiness. Exalted happiness. When you go down through these Beatitudes, there are some that the world will never connect with, even the one where it says to mourn, or to be poor in spirit, or to be meek, or to be persecuted. But here's the interesting thing. Believers who follow Jesus Christ, who are his children, who have these character traits, can be the most happy people in all the world. The happiest of people. Even for things that people in this world would look at you and go, I can't believe you would be happy when you're persecuted for your faith. I can't believe that you would be happy when you're insulted because of righteousness in your life. But your answer ought to be, yes, I can. Because Jesus says, in these character traits, I can have exalted happiness because I'm his child. And I look to him and him alone for this happiness. You see, we can be happy the way the world is, about things in the world. There are great reasons to be happy about some things, not all that the world does. Like the man who flew by me this morning on the way to church, halfway in my lane, going about twice the speed of sound. That, that might have made him happy. But if a policeman had been there at that time, it probably wouldn't have made him happy. But we can have real happiness. We can have happiness that the world does not know, that the world will never experience outside of Christ. And that happiness that is described here in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount can last and will last for all eternity. Because it's spiritual. It's heavenly. 
It's from God. It's through our relationship to him. We live in a fallen world that's dark. And we are children of light and children of the kingdom. And as we look to God, as we look to Christ, the happiness that the world can never find, will never realize is ours. And I want to ask us this morning, I'm going to ask you now and I'm going to ask you at the end, are you finding exalted happiness outside of the things that are good in this life, but exalted happiness in Christ and in your relationship to him? If you're not, it's time to start rethinking this whole thing. Because it's so important. The character traits of a true believer, one who is part of the kingdom, these are his or hers forever. And they will bring happiness. Just for your information, the other word that is used for blessed, you will run across many times in scriptures too. And it's the word eulagos. You know the word logos? Jesus is the word, that's logos. Word, Greek, the Greek word for, for uh, the word is logos, and this is a compound word, eulogos, from which we get the English word eulogy. What's a eulogy? Sometimes people don't know in these days. What, if somebody stood up at a funeral service and they said he's going to give a eulogy, what would they be giving? A what? A good word. You hope it's a good word. If it's a eulogy, it's supposed to be something good that you stand up and say about the deceased. That is often the word blessed in the scriptures. Uh, and that's what we think of. Paul, for instance, here's some usages. Uh, Paul, rather, Luke says in, in Luke 168, Zechariah says, Blessed be the God of Israel who has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Did you get that? So we're saying a good word about God. He is to be blessed. He is a good being because he has given us redemption. Here's another one in Luke, rather, uh, in Ephesians by Paul. And in this verse in Ephesians, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blesses us with every spiritual blessing. There the word eulogus is used of both God and us. God is blessed because he blesses us. He says a good thing about us because he blesses us with every spiritual blessing. That word is used around the New Testament. But listen again, here's the word makarios that appears in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes. John 3.17, Makarios, if you know these things, you will be blessed, happy if you do them. But if you know them and don't do them, you won't be happy. You know why? Because God will be either judging you or disciplining you if you are his child. Acts 20.35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, receiving makes me happy sometimes. Doesn't it you? 
when somebody comes up and gives you a gift, let's say you're short on your house payment, and all of a sudden a brother or sister appears at your door with an envelope with the money to pay your bill. You're blessed, you're happy, you've received. But the word of God says, and Jesus said, you are happier in the spiritual realm if you give rather than receive. Do you feel that happiness? When you have enough to share with someone in need? We need to start thinking about where real happiness comes. Yes, you can be happy to receive. That's okay. But the really happy individual is the one who gives out of the goodness of their heart and generosity. The one who gives. Here's another verse. I love this one, and I want you men to think about it. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, 39 to 40, says something like this. Wives, you are to be with your husband as long as he lives. But if he dies, if your husband dies, you are free to what? To remarry. You remember what Paul says after that? But I think you will be happier if you don't. That's my opinion, he says. Guess what word that is? Makarios. I think you will be more blessed, happier if you don't. Men, you need to think about that one. Did you get it? Dick, did you get that? Okay. Think about that. She's free to remarry, but she will be happier, maybe, Paul says, if she stays single. So there's that word makarios again. 1 Peter 3.14, if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are happy. You are blessed. Are you? Am I? Friends, I'm, I'm preaching this series not only for us, but for me. I need to hear this. I think all of us need to hear this. If you are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, you are happy. You should be happy. You should be joyful. Well, how can you be joyful when you're persecuted? Because it's in view of your relationship to the living God, to Jesus Christ. That's why. And he is with you. And the spirit of God is in you. And your home is not this earth. It is not your final dwelling place. It is with him in heaven and when he returns on the new earth together. That's why you can rejoice. That's why you can be happy. And here's another thing. It says to you, I am his child. Why do people persecute you? Why do they slander you? Why do they say evil things about you? Because they don't like what you stand for. They don't like your life. They don't like who you are. They don't like your God. And by the way, if the world really likes you a lot and thinks you're wonderful, you need to really think about how you are living. 
in this world. You need to really think about your character. You need to think about what is important to you. Because this is what our Lord is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I want you to look at these verses since we talked about blessed. Just let me read them and you follow from verse 3. This is what makes you blessed in the Beatitudes. Verse 3 of Matthew 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice there is the blessing, the happiness, and it's for this character trait, poor in spirit, and there's also, along with each of these blessings, a final result. What does it say here? For theirs is, present tense, the kingdom of heaven. If they're poor in spirit, if that's their character trait, if that's what they believe about themselves, they're happy. Because theirs is the kingdom. That's what they're happy about. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Think of that. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. Remember again, this is happy are you with exalted happiness. Blessed, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I'm going to stop there. Those are primarily the Beatitudes, but we're going to go through verses 13 to 16 in the series because that's talking about how we who have these character traits and are children of the kingdom are to live in this world. We're salt and we're light. And I told Jordan, he got into my whole series last week. You were here. You heard him, right? He said those words, didn't you? Salt, light, yeah. Well, he's ruined it. No, I'm just kidding. He's, I'm kidding. All right, having discussed all this, this is the way of true happiness. These are the character traits that will bring it. I want to remind you again, who gave it? Jesus. When was that? Right after he had brought all 12 disciples together. At the very beginning of his ministry, he's in Galilee, he's left Nazareth, he's living in Capernaum, and with his disciples early in the ministry, he goes up to a mountaintop, his disciples gather around him, 
and the crowds that have been coming and following and having, seeing healings and experiencing healings, they follow him up the mountain. So here he is at the beginning of his ministry with his new disciples. And for their sake and the crowds around him, he begins to preach a three-chapter sermon beginning with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are just the introduction, in a sense, to the whole sermon on the mount. That, I want to I just go back in here and just read a little bit. No, I think because of time, I won't do that. But let me just tell you this. The section that kind of pulls this all together is in Matthew chapter 4, just before chapter 5. And it is that which brings all of these historical events into being. Jesus is beginning the ministry. The disciples are fresh. The people are coming. And he has to tell them about the kingdom. It says he came preaching the kingdom. What is interesting also, if you look at Luke's version of the Beatitudes, Luke continually talks about the kingdom of God. Here in Matthew, Matthew constantly talks about the kingdom of heaven. Some people think they're two different kingdoms. No, it's the same sermon. It's the same sermon. One disciple, one, one individual, Luke, is primarily writing to Gentiles, so he talks about the kingdom of God. He wants to make sure they get it. In this book, Matthew, Matthew is writing it, and Matthew is writing primarily to Jews. He uses the kingdom of heaven, and I think here's the reason. The reason is the Jews were expecting a kingdom that was physical, that was earthly. They were looking for someone to come and be king and overthrow Rome and all of their enemies. So Matthew says, no, it's the kingdom of heaven that he came to preach. Do you remember what Jesus said to Pilate? Are you their king? Are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? What did he say? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. I didn't come to establish myself as king in Israel in this world. The world that is dark, the world that has fallen. I didn't come to overthrow Rome. I came to preach a spiritual kingdom, one that's not of this world. It's heavenly. It's eternal. And I'm bringing people into the kingdom now. If you're a believer, you, though you live in this world, in the United States, and you're under the political, those who are in political control in this country, and you must obey their laws unless it violates God's law, you're part of a different kingdom. This is not your home. This is why Matthew constantly to the Jews says, listen, it's the heavenly kingdom. It's not earthly. Don't think of it in those terms. Now, here's some things that we want to go through in this introduction. Just a few more things, and I'll, I'll just read the question, and then we'll go through them so it will set the stage for you for what is to come. Then next week, Lord willing, we will be in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom 
of heaven. Probably one of the most important of all those Beatitudes. And at the forefront, but that's next week. So here are some introductory things about the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes in particular. Why study them at all? Why study the Beatitudes? And why are they so important for the days in which we live? Three things. Because of the times that we live in. That's why they're important. You ever reflect on the days that we live in? Are they becoming more, especially in our country, are they becoming more Christian, more like Christ? Or is there more opposition to believers? Is there more opposition to what you believe? Do you find yourself, even in certain circumstances, not willing to say some of the things you believe because of what you might hear? what someone might say to you. I hope you're not. Because if you stand up today and you say, I don't believe in transgender stuff. I don't believe that's right before God. I believe it's wrong. I don't believe in homosexual marriage. You know what you're going to be classified as today in this country? A bigot. Someone who just hates people, and you just won't let them live their life. That's the way you're going to be considered. That's why we need to study the Beatitudes, because happiness, true, exalted happiness, spiritual happiness, only comes when you're a child of God and stand up for what is right. Stand up for truth. By the way, the days are getting harder for believers. The cost, the cost to be a believer, I think, is going to go up. The cost for homes is going up. The cost to be a believer is going up in this land. And if you don't think so, just wait another year or two. The cost is getting higher. We may well be nearing the second coming of Christ. We know we're nearer than any group of people has ever been. But if Paul thought it was going to be fairly soon in his day, I think it could be real close in ours. I think it could. That's one of the reasons, because of the times that we live in, that we need to study these Beatitudes. Also because of our failure to believe and study rightly the Scriptures, we need to study this. What do I mean by that? Part of that is I have been around believers, even in my training in seminary days, who believed that the Sermon on the Mount was not even for Christians. It was only for the kingdom. So we ignore that. We ignore Jesus' words. That's still around today, misinterpreting Scripture. This sermon is for the believer without a doubt. Some also today are teaching, you know, we are saved by grace as believers. And because we're saved by grace, there's nothing we have to do. Just cool it. You don't have to live a certain way. You've been saved by grace. You've looked to Christ. Don't worry about things in your life. Nothing could be further from the truth of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, 
in Matthew 7? A tree that does not produce good fruit, cut it down. Burn it. Yes, we are saved by grace, but it's the grace that empowers us to now live and be like this. And be this kind of person. And I hope you're not falling for that kind of line. This is why we need to study this sermon. And a third thing, because they describe the character of all that shall inherit the kingdom. The character of everyone that will inherit the kingdom is described here. And if we don't have those character traits, we're not children of the kingdom. We're just children of this world. And one day we will stand before God and hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. And they might say, but we said, Lord, Lord. And he says, I don't care what you said. You did not have the traits, the character traits of someone who will be entering heaven. Listen to these words out of Titus 2, 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That's the Christian. Zealous for good deeds. You know why? Good deeds are not only right and what he wants from us and demands from us, but they bring happiness. They bring true happiness. You know, you can have a home and it can burn down tomorrow. And you can be unhappy about that. You can have a spouse that you dearly love and the Lord could take them home. Will you be happy then? If your eyes are on Christ and you're part of his kingdom, you will be. Because your hope is not here. Your hope is not in the world or the things of the world. Your hope is in him. And your hope is in what lies ahead. Here's another verse out of Peter. For you, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Christ didn't save us to just take us from heaven and let us live any way we wanted to here. And he's saying that in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Beatitudes. He said, this is what I came to do, to change you, to make you a new creature, to give you a new heart, to give you life, to give you the Spirit of God in you so that you might follow me and you might be an obedient child and you might have the joy that the world does not know. This is the only way to have eternal spiritual joy and happiness. And this, these Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount demonstrate the need for spiritual life and power. They also demonstrate the need for evangelism. Now, I know if you're going to be an evangelist, you've got to give the message. Right, Chris? You've got to eventually speak. But here's something else to know. 
if you're not living it, you'd almost be best to keep your mouth shut. You witness by your life and by your words. Peter says that. 1 Peter chapter 2. You witness by your words and your life. Jay, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, but Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book on the Sermon on the Mount, refers to a leader in India by the name of Dr. Ambedkar. Is that close? Supposedly, he was a leader in India, and he also was very much, I guess, supportive of the outcasts. Well, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says he was always looking for people and their religion that really lived it and meant it. And he could look at them and say, it's real. It's real. And he left India and he went to Great Britain and he came to America to examine Christians. And after that examination was over, he started to examine Buddha and Buddhism because he still hadn't found in his own mind what was genuine, what was real. Now that's sad. That is sad. What are we portraying to the world in the way we live? What are we portraying to the world in terms of why we're happy? Is it just because the Royals win the World Series? I gave away my team. No, it has nothing to do with whether the Royals win the World Series, ever. It has to do with Christ. It has to do with my relationship with him. That's what it has to do with. What, are the, what in the Beatitudes teach us that they are for Christians in our day? In contrast to some who would say, no, they're not for Christians at all. They speak of the suffering that followers of Christ will receive in this life. They speak of the future reward of believers in heaven after this life is over. They speak of the witness that believers are to have in this life, to be salt and to be light. You can't be light if you're not living these beatitudes and the practical teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that follows. You're not. What do the Beatitudes tell us about the one that they describe? They tell us exactly what sort of person he is. He's a man that's happy and exaltedly happy when he mourns, when he makes peace, when he's pure in heart, when he hungers and thirsts after righteousness. That's the thing that makes him happy. He's a true believer when he will manifest all of the Beatitudes together, not just one or two, but all of them. Do we manifest these? Are we meek? Are we persecuted? They tell us precisely how those in the world will respond to us when we are this this is how the world's going to respond to us if we're like this, if the Beatitudes are character traits of our life. 
They tell us how the world is going to relate. They will hate us. They will slander us. And here's the thing. There's been a lot in our recent years in the church telling us we've got to become more like them in order to win them. Guess what? That is not biblical. We've got to become more like Christ wants us to be and part of his kingdom. And that means the way he's going to attract them is not because we're like them, but because we're different. And they see the difference, and God uses that difference to start to work in their hearts, to come to us and say, what makes you like you are? What makes you this way? I've watched you. You're different. You're not like other people. You don't get upset when somebody says a bad thing about you. You don't, you don't get upset when you're slandered. You don't get upset when people do mean things against you. And you have a chance to do what? You have a chance to say, it's not me. It's him. It's supernatural. He changed my life. What are the basic lessons that you can learn from the Beatitudes? Therefore, all Christians, all of the Beatitudes, and all of the Beatitudes are ultimately not the product of something you do. You, you desire them. You ask God to do them in your heart, but it's by the working and the power of the Spirit of God. You can't do these things in your own strength. Never. Not one of them, not all of them. It's by the Spirit of God that you become a reflector of his kingdom and of his person. All of the Beatitudes are ultimately a work of the Spirit of God. And the Beatitudes clearly delineate the difference between a child of Christ and a child of Satan. Clearly, there's a difference. Don't try to merge them together. Love them. Desire to win them. But don't become like them. Don't follow this kind of stuff that's out there today. We've got to become more like them. We've got to become more winsome. They'll see things in us this way. No, they won't. You're not trusting God when you hear those kinds of things or say them. You must be like Christ. Christ was this way. And you must be his followers. So brothers and sisters, we don't win the world by trying more to be pleasing to them, to be like them. The fact that we are truly different than them is what God will use to bring some to himself. That's what he will use. And make no mistake, we are to be different in what we love and what we admire and what we believe and what we say and what we do and what we don't do. We need to stand on those things. It's so important 
until we get this and we get it right. I hope over the next weeks you will pray for me in two ways. One, that I will become more like this than ever before. And that we all will. And two, that I will spend the time in the word and come and preach it, not in my power or in my strength, but in his. In his. And his alone. I think this could be a life-changing experience for us here. If our hearts are right, you study it too. You begin to read it. Just pour the Sermon of the Mount. If you're on one of those annual plans, scrap it for a few weeks. Get into the Sermon on the Mount and look at it deeply and go over it again and again and again. I want to close with these words. And I know when a preacher usually says that, there's another five minutes or two. But I'll try to do this quicker. I'm going to give you some quotes from C.S. Lewis that seem to me to touch on what the Sermon of the Mount is saying to us. C.S. Lewis, of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. You see, there were Pharisees in Jesus' days who didn't have the real thing. They were religious, but Jesus said they were whitewashed tombs. They were a mess. It was not of the heart. It was the outwards. This is what C.S. Lewis is getting at. Religious men, of all men, are the worst. Number two, he said, if you want a religion to make you feel comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. He is right on. You know, I grew up in, in a background, Pentecostal background, that some people were saying, you know, if you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, you should be driving a Cadillac, not a Chevy. What, what did they think was going to happen when you become a Christian? You get everything you want? You get all that this world has to offer? No. You want to become a follower of Christ, you might not even have a Chevy, much less a Cadillac. He didn't call people so that he could pour all of the riches of this world on them. He called people to follow himself, to become like Christ in their words, in their deeds, in every way, every way. Here's another thing that he said. God who foresaw your tribulation has armed you to go through it, not without pain, but without stain. I like that. There's going to be pain if you are a member of the kingdom. There's going to be pain if you're a follower of Christ. But in that pain, there's happiness and joy that the world can never, ever know. Ever. Apart from coming to Christ. Here's his final one. When we Christians behave badly or fail to behave well, 
we are making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. You want to be a witness for Christ? Make sure that your life is where he wants it before you open your mouth. Did you hear what he was saying? When we Christians behave badly, we're making Christianity unbelievable to the world that is outside. There's so much in this sermon. I can tell you this, that God has already begun a work in me as I've started studying this. Just refreshing and new. I want to be happy about the things that are okay to be happy about. I am. But you know what I really want to full of exalted joy and happiness in are the things that Jesus talks about here. And I want that for you. And I want that for this church. And I want it for evangelical churches across the world. You want to read a good book on the Sermon on the Mount. There's several out there. A.W. Pink has one. John MacArthur has one on the Sermon on the Mount. That's another thing you could start doing by, along with pouring yourself into this sermon. But the best one that I truly love is the Sermon on the Mount by Martin Lloyd-Jones. I love it. And between the scriptures and his teaching and interpretation, it is such a blessing. Folks, do you want real happiness? Do you want exalted joy even when the things of this life are going south, not north? Here's what you need to do. You need to be in the Beatitudes. You need to have these character traits. And you will have the richest joy and happiness that anyone could ever have, no matter what happens in this life. No matter what. You believe that? I hope you do, and I hope you will begin to experience it in a way that you never have before. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this marvelous sermon at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ on this earth. May we take it to heart. May we read it and memorize it and think about it and ponder it, reflect upon it, and may we live it. May these character traits be ours. We pray these things in Jesus' precious, powerful name. Amen.